the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. A few weeks ago, I talked about the patterns that Brian McLaren says we all use to understand the world, our lives and our lives in God. And in case you can't remember what they were, the four patterns were rivalry and uh, where one of us has to be a winner and compliance where you have to learn the rules and, and abide by them or meaningless mechanism where the universe is just a mechanism with no meaning in it at all. And the last one which he says comes from the life and teaching and death and resurrection of Christ the word of God is love. And he says they are the four ways that we use to understand what is happening around us. We use these to understand everything, including how we read scripture and how we understand God. They're like the glasses we put on and we see everything through one of those patterns. So I wonder which of these, as I said in the pew sheet, shapes our answers to why we're on this journey to Good Friday and Easter. Shapes what is it we hope to get out of this journey and shapes our desires in all of this. Which of these, rivalry, compliance, meaningless mechanism or love? Just spend a moment thinking about that. first reading we heard this morning is the story of God's promise with Abram and Sarai, a promise that they would have a truckload of descendants, more than all the stars they can see in the sky, which all seems very improbable with Sarai being as old as she is and still nothing happening. Now this is not the first time that such a conversation has happened between God and Abraham, Abram, nor is it the last time. The first time is in Genesis 12, and I'm going to come back to that, uh, this particular reading. But Abram and Sarah are called to leave the comfort of being among the rich and powerful in the city of Ur, and uh, they're told to go off into an unknown land, which they do. The promise is then repeated after they get to that land, and Abram gives his nephew Lot first choice of the land. We meet Abram's despair in today's reading, his beginning to doubt this is ever going to happen. And then in Genesis 17, we have the story which this icon is based on, the story of some visitors who become angels, who kind of somehow might be God as well, coming to Abram and Sarai and being invited in for a meal and reiterating the promise and Sarah can't help but laugh because, well, she is well past childbearing age now and this is all a bit ridiculous. And then the promise is repeated for the last time in Genesis 22 with Abraham, Abraham he's had a name change by now, willingness to sacrifice Isaac. 
five times in five different versions. It is a really important promise. It is one of the foundational promises that two of the great faiths of the world look back to, Judaism and Islam. Now in this reading, interestingly, it talks about a slave, which I immediately assumed was Ishmael, but actually Ishmael's not on the scene. The very next verses, Genesis 16, is when Sarai says to Abraham, look, nothing's happening. Uh, how about you take Hagar, my slave woman, and have a child with her, and he will be your heir. Now, shortly after that, he disappears out of the story as far as we're concerned. But in fact, for the Arabs, Ishmael and Abraham continued their bond, and according to them, Abraham spent half the year with Ishmael and half the year with Isaac, and taught both sons worship of the one true God. Uh, and so one of the books I read recently about Paul says one of the reasons for Paul's very strong emphasis on Abraham and the Abrahamic faith is after he became a Christian, he went to Arabia and lived amongst the Arabs who had this very strong Abrahamic faith. So we think that Muhammad made up all this stuff and re kind of created his new religion, but Muhammad always had the idea that he was calling the Arabs back to the faith, their first faith, which was handed down to them through Ishmael, the faith in the one true God. So I'm going to use some language later on which talks about descendants of Abraham through Isaac, because there are two parts to this family. Well, I want to talk about today not the, not the story from Genesis 12, but in fact, the story, uh, not the story from Genesis 17, but they actually go back to the very first time this promise is given in Genesis 12. And I want to read that, um, that promise to you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thirty years ago, thirty-something years ago, Bonnie and I did a Bible study course. It was a two-year course, one night a week with some homework, uh, called Bethel. And the subtitle of Bethel came from this passage in Genesis 12. It was, blessed to be a blessing. We had these little cards and we memorised all these cards with um, different parts of the Bible. And by the end of it you kind of knew your way around the Bible and could um, kind of know where to look for various things. can't remember many of the things now apart from Genesis 4 was, am I my brother's keeper? And Genesis 12 is, blessed to be a blessing. Um, and Genesis 30 is God can use evil for good, I think. So, or Genesis 40. But all the others have kind of slipped from my mind. But uh, I remember this, blessed to be a blessing. The Course said that we should read the whole Bible in light of this line, blessed to be a blessing. 
We should understand the whole story of the people of God in light of this line, blessed to be a blessing. And that we should understand our own place within the story by this one line, blessed to be a blessing. This is one of the patterns that McLaren was talking about. He said that the whole Bible can be read in light of one pattern, and we apply one pattern to it. And so we can apply this pattern, blessed to be a blessing, to how we read the Bible. If we do that, then the law reminded the descendants of Abraham through Isaac that yes, they were blessed, but that blessing came with a responsibility. A responsibility to be a blessing to all their neighbours. And the prophets constantly exhorted the descendants of Abraham through Isaac that their blessing came with a responsibility to be a blessing. And that failure to live that out carried consequences. The story of the exile is the story of the failure of the descendants of Abraham through Isaac to be a blessing. And the story of the restoration came with the responsibility, once again, to be a blessing. Jesus then lived among us, living out what it means to be blessed, but also living what it means to be a blessing. Fulfilling, in doing so, the law and the prophets. And in doing so, he confronted all the powers that harmed and destroyed the communities by which the people of God were to be blessed, to be a blessing. The political powers represented by Herod and Pilate, the religious powers of the high priests, the social and economic powers of the rich and the powerful, represented by and including Herod and the high priests, and the powers that caused illness and demonic possession, that led people to be ostracised from their communities. People of Jesus' time didn't know about bacteria and viruses. They understood that it was demonic powers that worked against the will of God that caused all these things. And whenever Jesus cast out demons and healed people, it was him defeating the powers. It's always a power struggle. And he's always the winner. Now, All of these powers, the political, the religious, the social, the economic, and the demonic, all of these powers destroyed communities, and they prevented people from being blessed, and prevented them from being a blessing. And so Jesus' actions and teachings restored those communities, and like the law and the prophets, offered them ways that those communities could be a blessing to others. That story, that struggle of being a people blessed to be a blessing has continued since. At times we the inheritors of that blessing, of this blessing, well we've been really keen on the blessing bit and uh, you can see that still today. There's lots of Christians who are enormously keen on being blessed. but And there's whole schools of theology around that. Prosperity gospel is all about we will be blessed. That's what God is on about. But for a lot of Christians, we've been a lot less keen on the being a blessing bit. Like being blessed, 
not so keen on being a blessing. But there are other stories of so many followers of Christ who have understood that they were blessed to be a blessing. And that blessing was seen in the, to be in the here and now, not something that would happen in the distant future. People who made a significant difference to the people around them in the here and now. People like St. Francis and St. Clare and those who belonged to the Franciscan order. St. Elizabeth of Hungary who lived in a way that did not add to the poverty of the peasants who lived on her, were her husband's and her husband's family, family's estates and was involved in the establishment of orphanages and feeding the poor. Well, there's so many Celtic monasteries across Great Britain and Europe who made a significant difference to the lives of the people who lived near those monasteries and so many other monasteries as well who made significant differences. And in more recent times, well, on Wednesday we remembered Janani Lewin, I have no idea how to pronounce his name properly, but we'll go with that, who was the Archbishop of Uganda, and was martyred on February the 17th, 1977. In our little For All the Saints, it says, in 1971, General Idi Amin came to power in a military coup. A reign of terror followed, and Luwim and other bishops became prominent among those protesting Amin's actions. The bishops wrote to Amin to protest about the many arbitrary deaths in the general reign of terror. On the 16th of February 1977, Archbishop Lewin went to present President Amin with a letter from all the bishops, an action he knew would almost certainly lead to his death. The Archbishop was driven away along with two government ministers. Ugandan radio announced that the three of them had been arrested, and the following morning it was stated that they had died in a car accident. It was widely known, however, that they had, been fact, had in fact been shot on the orders of the President. Strangely, his death gave hope to so many other people. It gave them hope that there would one day be an end to this, in this hopeless situation. In August, we will remember Oscar Romero, who was the fourth Archbishop of San Salvador in El Salvador. Now, before he became the Archbishop, he was a pretty traditional Catholic who didn't really seem to care too much about what was happening in his country and was much more focused on moral issues. But once he became Archbishop, he increasingly became more outspoken about the issues of poverty, social injustice, assassinations and torture, which led, in 1980, to his assassination while offering Mass in the chapel of the Hospital of the Divine Providence. Again, his death gave hope to people. It made a difference because he had made a difference. Now, I'm sure we could all name our own saints, people who have made a real difference in the lives of others historically through to today. The danger with naming all these is that we see them as someone special, not like us at all. But, to use Brian McLaren's ideas, this pattern of blessed to be a blessing is 
how we are to understand everything. Because it is the pattern of God's love. Blessed to be a blessing. So we, like them, are to be blessed to be a blessing. So I invite you this Lent to take time to reflect on the ways that we have all been blessed and the ways that we are a blessing to the people of Tauranga and what ways we might be invited to join the ongoing story of the people of God that stretches all the way back to Abraham through Christ into the ongoing story of the whole church to be blessed to be a blessing we are part of that story which takes us back to the pew sheet questions why are we on this journey to Good Friday and Easter what shapes what we hope to get out of it what shapes our desires in all of this Let's just spend a moment thinking about that and then we'll say the creed.